Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show, coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska, where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Thank you, Scott. What's up, everybody? Welcome aboard to Must Read Alaska, coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. Hey, before we get get started, if you like this podcast, if you love freedom, if you believe in the Constitution, would you give us a five-star review? Because that's what Must Read Alaska is all about. And if you have the time, just write a comment. We want to hear from you. Your feedback makes us better. And we really appreciate all of the, the comments that we've already gotten. We've got dozens of comments already. So thank you so much hit the donate button at mustreadalaska.com because we are a reader-driven and now we're a listener-driven conservative project all about Alaska for Alaskans. And if you don't mind, like us on Facebook at Must Read Alaska, where we are so close to having 15,000 followers and we're so excited about that. I am Suzanne Downing and you already know my co-host, John Quick, he's on the other mic in Akiski, and Scott Levesque, he's our producer in Anchorage. And you can hear Scott on the Wednesday edition of the Must Read Alaska show that he's hosting all by himself. Which Great show last Wednesday, Scott. I just got done listening to it. Really great content. We've got a lot going on in Alaska. It's minus 22 degrees in Uktiavik. It's over um, 38 degrees, I think, now in Ketchikan. And tonight is the Christmas star. So I, I was hoping, John, that you had studied all up on the Christmas star and can explain to our listeners just what it is. The Christmas star is amazing. Thank you so much, uh, Suzanne. John Quick here. And the two largest planets in our solar system, solar system, Jupiter and Saturn, will merge into form one single light source. Now, this is pretty awesome because it, it the last time this happened at night was 800 years ago, folks. And, you know, I did some research today and the only thing, the only thing that I could find that happens in a less occurrence of th- than this is the Anchorage Assembly making a good decision, and so we are in for a treat uh, tonight. Uh, and it is until six twenty-two is kind of when the last time it is visible. So. Uh, it's visible kind of an hour after sunset, all the way up until 622. The bummer part is it's supposed to be cloudy everywhere, Anchorage, Fairbanks, Kenai, Juneau. Uh, but if you're in a plane by chance, you might be able to see the Christmas star and you will thank your lucky stars for seeing this because again, this is gonna be the first time that it is visible in more than 800 years. So uh, folks that can see this are kind of in for a treat. Yeah, that's right. And, and actually, if you're in Nome, you'll, you'll have a, a pretty good view of it, I think, because they have clear weather there, last I checked. And look, if you don't get to see the Christmas star, you know what? It's okay. You know, it, it won't be around for another 400 years, but we always have the Northern Lights, right? So, John, you have a, a book to give away today, and I just wanted you to kind of fill us in on the specifics. I know this is a little promotion we're doing. We're pretty excited about it. We're giving away a special book to some lucky listener. Tell us all about it. So Donald Trump Jr. Uh, has written two books. One, his first book was called Triggered, which is a great book. I great own book. it. His second book was called Liberal, Liberal Privilege. And it uh, talks about Joe, Joe Biden and kind of the privilege that the Democrats have 
that is uh, in existence that the, that the Republicans and the conservatives do not have. We are going to be giving a signed copy away of this book, Liberal Privilege, to somebody special. What, what do you have, have to, do? to do? What you have to do to enter to win this is you could do a couple of different things. You could go on to our podcast and write us a review and send us a screenshot uh, to john at mustreadalaska.com. Uh, you can go on to our app uh, on the uh, iTunes app, Google Play Store, and you could do a review there for us as well. Send us a screenshot to my email. Uh, and then you can also go on our Facebook site, and we have a, uh, a Donald Trump Jr. liberal privilege post kind of pinned to the top of our Facebook page. And for some extra entries, you can tag a friend and like that post and comment on that post or share that post. A number okay. of those three things will give you some extra entries into there. Uh, but really, we're looking for somebody to go and give us a review and shoot us a screenshot of that review. Very, very good. Well, we have a special guest on our show today, Rick Whitbeck from Power of the Future. We're really honored to have him. But before we get to him, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the, the recent Anchorage shopping insurrection that they had over the weekend. And I've talked to some of the organizers that were um, involved in it, the people who rallied in from Matsu Valley. They got in their cars and trucks. They decorated them all up with lights and they they made them really festive. And they, they caravaned in from the valley to Anchorage. And, if, and people came up from the Kenai as well. There were about 80 cars in the caravan from Anchorage and it was snowing and from the valley, it was snowing like crazy. It was just, in fact, there was a little fender bender amongst them uh, when they, they stopped in Eagle River to pick up some more uh, people in the caravan. And there, I understand there was a little fender bender, but they got that sorted out. And they all came into Anchorage and they they shopped their little to the heart's content. And um, they looked around for restaurants that, you know, they really couldn't find very many that were actually open for, for sit down dining. So it was really Jackie's Place and the White Spot Cafe. And both of those restaurants will probably incur, incur uh, $300 fines from the from the city because they opened for sit down dining. But I talked to this one guy who went into Blaine's Arts Supply and said that those people were super happy and said they were having a really good, um, they were having a really good day for a change uh, for sales wise. And these are small businesses that are owned by families in Anchorage. I was so happy that, that they did well on that day. Um, I, I guess there were about 300 people altogether that took part in this shopping insurrection, which was basically, we're going to go in the stores and we're going to spend money and we're not going to worry about what the mayor says. Um, and I did talk with Andy Kreiner over at Kreiner's Diner. He did not open his diner um, for sit-down dining. He said he got a letter from the mayor and, and she reminded him that he'd sign an agreement. He wouldn't have to pay his million-dollar fine to the city if he didn't open. But if, if he did open on that day, she was going to find him $15,000. He said he just couldn't afford it. And so he didn't, um, he didn't open up and neither did uh, Little Dipper Cafe because they had the same agreement with the city. They settled out of court and said, yeah, they wouldn't open up. They wouldn't disobey the, the edict. So they didn't open, but Andy said he had a really good day for takeout anyway, because people were excited to come and support him. So he was really happy and he wanted me to tell you that. Um, there were code enforcers out taking pictures of people shopping and going into stores and rest in the, the, the few restaurants that were open. So, but anyway, John, I know that uh, down on the Kenai, you usually give us a report on what's going on. And you've got some things going on down there. You've got a road that's being plowed. That's good. Yeah, we got a couple good. We got a couple things happening on the Kenai that I want to highlight. One is the fact that we have a school superintendent, uh, John O'Brien of the Kenai Peninsula School Borough. 
he oversees all the schools in the whole borough. He's refusing to listen to parents. And I want to tell you this quote. Some of you have seen this quote on our uh, Facebook and on our social media. Uh, but this is just ridiculous. He's basically ostracized all conservatives. And he's saying that we're not going to, we're no longer going to listen to you. He said that when asked about why he's closed the schools and why he refuses to open the schools, he says it's going to be based on the numbers, the medical data, and what we're hearing from the hospitals, not based off of people picketing on the side of the road. And he was on the Bob Bird show talking for 35 minutes about how amazing he was and about how amazing his policies are. And basically, at the end of the day, he's not going to listen to parents, sadly. But I still encourage parents to keep showing up because that is how we push back on the left as we show up and we uh, make our stance and we're polite and we tell people what we think. And I think that's yeah, that's right. Thing. You so, know, the, the world is run by people who show up and the people do not show up at these school board meetings and and these assembly meetings, then they certainly get the government they deserve. Yep. And so the other good thing that's happened on the peninsula is Senator Peter Machicki has been working with the governor's office for quite some time uh, to open back up a very weary section of the uh, of the Sterling Highway, the Silvertip Maintenance st Station. And really, when you're coming, when you're going from Kenai to Anchorage, there's an area there that just can get a lot of snow, and mm -hmm. there's a lot of accidents. Uh, and if they're not maintaining that place, it's very hard to traverse. And so my hat does go off to Governor Dunleavy for making cuts, right? Because everybody wants cuts until it hits them. You know, we want cuts, but don't cut our section of the road. We want cuts, but don't cut, th don't cut this because it affects us. So my hat does go off to the governor for, for making cuts. But I think that uh, Senator Machiki was able to work with the governor and shore this up to, to make sure that it is maintained during this kind of treacherous winter months that we're going to have here. Yeah, right. Well, the, the silver tip station has really, uh, and it's important, and Peter Machiki has been hounding him about it. And I think there have been a couple deaths on the highway that really point to the need for, I mean, it is Alaska's most dangerous highway, I believe, from especially that Seward section is really tough. Well, onward to the rest of our show. And we are so happy to be joined by Rick Whitbeck, who is the chair of this new group in Alaska called Power of the Future, or he's the Alaska director, I sh should say. So Rick, um, tell us a little bit about Power of the Future and why Alaska needs you and what you do so much right now. Well, first of all, Suzanne and John and Scott, thanks for the opportunity. Um, so Power of the Future is a national nonprofit. We're focused on championing energy workers across the country. So many times because of just the sheer funding um, and the money raised by eco-left organizations coupled with the partners in the mainstream media, the impacts of anti-job regulations, um, anti-job legislation uh, really are just silenced. You never hear about it. And so the, the environment, saving the whales, saving the caribou, um, some invertebrate, some beluga, they're more important than the people who get impacted by those jobs. <clears throat> so Power of the Future was formed late in 2017 by a guy back in DC named Daniel Turner. He's uh, the founder and executive director to give a voice to the workers themselves uh, who are ultimately the ones affected by environmental extremism, right? Their families, uh, their communities deserve a voice. And so Power of the Future gives it to them. Uh, I am the, I was his first hire. I came on board um, just about two years ago, January 20, uh, 2019. And then we have a Western States director named Larry Behrens. He's based out of Albuquerque. Um, he handles New Mexico and, and Colorado. And, and that's the team right now. Um, whereas groups like the NRDC and the Sierra Club and others have $200 million a year budgets. <clears throat> We're really, really small compared to those guys. 
but we give a voice that uh, just hadn't been out there in the in the space until then. Very good. And, and so you're kind of a little bit of a guerrilla warfare as well. You're sort of uh, giving the left a taste of their medicine. But I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the incoming Biden administration and, and what some of the concerns are for Alaska. I've written a little bit about this on mustreadalaska.com, but um, you know, the, uh, you're know you absolutely following this in a much closer way. So can you just sort of give it us um, the, your viewpoint from about the 30,000 foot level first? Sure, and we've been working, Suzanne, um, on trying to tell the story of what a Biden energy plan and a Biden energy envi uh, environment, you know, kind of the, the makeup could be since about May of this year on powerofthefuture.com. Um, but to understate it, and I'm saying it is at 30,000 foot, it's horrible. Um, Biden's energy team is really a, a who's who of the darlings of the radical environmental movement. Uh, John Kerry leading the international charge, Gina McCarthy, Jennifer Granholm, Tom Vilsack, Deb Holland, Michael Reagan, Alaska and the rest of America's energy workers are clearly second to fixing the so-called climate catastrophe, right? They, they are much more concerned with um, saving the world from the dangers of fossil fuels, creating environmental justice panels. And I, and I put this in quotes because of the sheer stupidity of the phrase, the just transition away from traditional fuel sources to those um, uh, renewables are going to threaten millions of US jobs and create a vacuum in the U.S. national security as well. Very, very interesting. Well, I wanted to talk to you about some of these guys specifically, some of these guys and gals in the Biden team. I, it seems that he has most certainly, um, this he's, he's bought and paid for by the radical environmentalist movement. Um, you've got Gina McCarthy. Now, we know Gina McCarthy up here in Alaska because she yeah, came up do. to Alaska and... She was the head of the EPA, and of course, uh, she did some things up here, such as the preemptive uh, ban on Pebble, telling them they couldn't even apply for a permit. They could not even apply for a U.S. Army Corps permit because they weren't going to get it, so they weren't going to be able to apply, which is really a novel approach to um, environmentalism, just telling people no. Uh, it, was, it was sort of the, the Gina McCarthy just say no. And then there was the very famous uh, gag and maggot uh, comment she made. T tell us a, a little bit about Gina McCarthy. Yeah, so McCarthy um, is, is better known to Alaskans than she should be. Um, she's a world-class, and I'm saying world-class, wildlife above human life, eco-zealot, Suzanne. She's, uh, she was named the domestic climate czar, not even a cabinet position in the Biden administration. And she and John Kerry are going to be the leading voices on all things green in that administration. She joins the White House policy team after leading the NRDC. That's the National Resources Defense Council. It's one of the largest eco organizations in the country. And I say eco-terrorist organizations because they're the ones who hate anything having to do with responsible development. Um, up here, it's Pebble, Anwar, Ambler's Mining District, uh, the Tongass Timber. They even came out against the King Cove life-saving road because it could impact a couple of acres of traded out national park um, and national wildlife refuge. This is the same NRDC, by the way, that she's been heading up that just was given a congressional inquiry into being funded by the Chinese no, through I'm the kidding. Sea Change Foundation, right? So the um, NRDC doesn't have any ties to China, according to McCarthy, but we know that's bunk and we hope that Congress continues to, to uh, press forward on that. Um, it's also the same in NRDC that wants to push an energy ag agenda that would pay back their Chinese funders by making the U.S. dependent on Chinese mined and Chinese manufactured uh, green energy components, whether it's wind turbine blades or um, 
you know, solar panels, all of those are controlled by China. And so we've already seen through China, Suzanne, <clears throat> what, um, what you can do with the supply chain during the early days of COVID when they said, hey, we're not gonna have a whole lot of uh, time to send you PPE because we're kind of trying to deal with our own stuff. And so uh, companies like MyPillow and GM and others st uh, stepped up and made ventilators and made you know, masks and things like that. But Chinese control of the energy grid and the components for the energy grid is something that the NRDC is ultimately pushing for. And again, that's Gina McCarthy. Um, some Alaskans will remember the Gagamagat comment, right? She was very disparaging about some of the traditional gifts she received back in 2014 under Obama. Her EPA, her EPA tender um, was filled with other controversies. Her preemptive veto you mentioned, which was overturned by the Trump administration, but um, she is, she's just not, she wasn't good for Alaska during the uh, Obama administration. She's gonna be terrible for Alaska in the Biden administration. Right, so she's a retread from Obama. Basically, we're seeing a lot of that in the Biden administration, just retreads. And so yeah, basically this is, this is Obama too, but she comes back into a position where she doesn't even have to face Senate confirmation. She'll be one of the most powerful people in the government which is stunning. I mean, we're seeing a, a sort of a, a little bit of a shadow, in a way, a shadow government here that'll be run with her and John Kerry and some of the other uh, usual suspects. Absolutely. So you know, I was going to say one more thing on that is, you know, Biden talked for the whole, the whole campaign about I, I'm a moderate, I'm not against fracking, I'm not a Green Deal, you know, Green New Deal proponent. But all the people that he's putting into these positions of power within his new administration are absolutely radical eco-left Green New Deal zealots, um, just transition zealots. So he talked this one, you know, he talked this one uh, path during the campaign, but now that he's in, it's the Bloombergs and the Steyers and the Sanders and the AOCs and, and people like that who are really influencing and running his domestic energy agenda. And again, you know, it, a lot of groups pointed that out on the, on the campaign, he somehow bamboozled the American people and now we're going to we're going to be the ones to pay for it. So John chime in here. What do you have? What, so, you, what kind so, of questions do you have on this? So let's review because I think it's important for folks that that are listening in because I think what I hear a lot from the average Joe, you know, I, I got a hardware store down here on the Kenai is that uh, we're just going to wait this out. You know, Joe Biden administration, you know, they can't really do anything to us and we'll just kind of wait it out. And I think that folks need to realize that this is a big deal that that Gina McCarthy is a radical leftist that she did preemptively uh, prevent Pebble from even filing an application that she worked for the radical group National Resource Development Council and just think of you know 10 20 years ago when folks said oh BP would never leave Alaska it's never going to happen well they did BP left and so just as easily as BP left Gina McCarthy could come down and really make it hard for Hillcorp to do business in Alaska. And if Hillcorp leaves and, and companies like that leave, Alaska is not gonna be in a good place. We're already not in a good place. So I really encourage folks to do their homework and look into some of these folks that Joe Biden is appointing to these radical extremist uh, positions that don't even have confirmation processes. Mm, yeah, true, true. Now, uh, Rick, uh, let's uh, go on to Deb Hallen. Now she's gonna be, the Secretary of Interior, if she passes, uh, she passes confirmation, she will have to be confirmed. She's a representative from New Mexico. She is also um, a pretty radical person and um, she's made a lot of promises. So uh, what do we know about her? Well, Deb Holland, if it were up to her, would be the fifth member of the squad. 
Huh. Um, she she is part of that whole AOC Talib, um, you know, bent as far as kind of their whole socialistic uh, thought process. But she's an original first day co-sponsor of the Green New Deal. So when you huh. start talking about the Department of Interior, um, which controls 62% of Alaska's lands, and a lot of our opportunities for federal uh, mining and oil and gas development, right? She is as eco-bent as anybody that could possibly be in the Biden administration. Um, she was a, known as an eco-representative uh, in New Mexico before she ran for Congress. Her support of Elizabeth Warren throughout the, the presidential primaries shows just how left she is. It wasn't Biden that she supported early on, Suzanne, John, and Scott. It was Elizabeth Warren, right? So even though she represents New Mexico, which has the Permian Basin um, fracking godsend to American energy independence, she's anti-fracking. Not only a day one sponsor of the Green New Deal, but a clear outward anti-fracking, fracking ban proponent. Um, assuming that she's not thwarted by the Senate, and so much of that really depends on um, how, she, how she positions herself and what the governing makeup is of the Senate after the Georgia elections, um, she'll take over a department again. 62% of Alaska is controlled by the Department of Interior. And if she's heading that up, that's bad news. Well, I'm, you know, I'm really curious because she's against oil uh, development. She said she's against oil development on federal land. And, it, you know, in the, in the Western states, that's what we have. We have federal land. Now, in Texas, most of their oil lands are, are state lands or private lands. And in, back in Pennsylvania, they, it's all state and private land. But, but in, even in our own state of New Mexico, it's on federal land. And of course, up here, we know it's on ANWR. So are we at risk of seeing the Biden administration somehow legally shut down these leases that we're about to, to see completed? I think it depends on what the response is to those leases, Suzanne. I mean, certainly if January 6th comes and there's an overwhelming response to the oil and gas leases up in Anmar, um, and every one of those tracks sells, then it'll be tougher to really mobilize against those leases. Future, again, Biden said day one, he will ban additional oil and gas drilling and, and uh, development on federal lands and in federal waters. He's also said on day one, he will close Anwar to, to development. So the Trump administration getting a, um, an oil and gas lease out uh, before that at least gives um, you know, uh, prospective developers a couple legs to stand on. Um, so I think what is gonna happen with the Biden administration is if, it's, if we do have a good lease, then it'll be tougher to, to really take Alaska on there. But if we don't have a good lease, Suzanne and, and John and Scott, it's, it's gonna be tough. I also wanna say one other thing about Deb Holland. She already has a record of being anti-Alaska native. She's a member of the uh, Pueblo Nation out of New Mexico. And so she should be well-versed in the economic and social plight of rural indigenous cultures and how resource development, like we've seen up on the slope and we've seen in the Nana region with Red Dog and, and elsewhere, is, is a job-creating, um, generationally-changing opportunity for, for rural Americans, rural Alaskans here. She's voiced her anti-Native views during the COVID um, relief package that was allocated a couple months ago. Uh, her statement when Alaska Native corporations were included were clear, quote, an eligible entity must be included on the, on the list of federally recognized tribes published by the Bureau of Indian Affairs, and Alaska Native corporations aren't on it. So she and others filed a bill that should ANCs, Alaska Native Corps, end up receiving any of the $8 billion from the CARES Act, 
the money would legally be re required to be returned, saying, quote, we're holding the Trump administration accountable for the blatant mismanaging of federal funding included for tribes. It was clear that they attempted to put for-profit corporations in Alaska ahead of sovereign governments elsewhere. So this is now, so serious. Now, this is a big, big deal because, uh, I mean, our native corporations in Alaska, all, every single one of them is involved in resource development. And ASRC is completely involved in you know, oil field services. And so, you know, they have, they suffered greatly when there was a big dive in oil and, and um, you know, it was down to like you know, $29 or, or lower for one, at once. At one point, it went really a lot lower than that. Well, but, at uh, one time it was negative. Yeah, for, it was actually right. Days, it was right? for I mean, a couple yeah. of days. That was that was freaky. So, and then you know, of course, Red Dog Mine and Donlin. Um, of course, Sea Alaska has got a lot of resource development stuff. We've got um, we've got Alaska Native corporations involved in all manner of resource development because that's what we have up here. And so the question exactly. is: is uh, what what kind of position is this going to put um, Senator Lisa Murkowski and Senator Dan Sullivan in? in terms of confirmation. After all, this is a Native American and they're all saying it's the first Native American to be head of the interior, but she hates us. Yeah, she certainly isn't a fan of Alaska, at least not from what, um, what she's been able to you know, put on record so far. Because you remember, she's only been in Congress now for this is her second year. So yeah. she doesn't really have a congressional track record. But what we do know about her disdain for Alaska Native corporations and Alaska Natives in general because of her you know, blatant um, disregard for for them being on an equal uh, level with, you know, with people of the Nez Perce of the Pueblo Nation of, of um, lower 48 tribes mm -hmm. will make it tougher for Senator Sullivan and Senator Murkowski and Congressman Young, should she get confirmed, to work with her. Um, mm -hmm. I still think she gets through the confirmation process, even if there is a Republican uh, majority in the Senate, which again, I'm hoping for after the Georgia elections. But let's be clear, everybody that Biden's put in so far has been um, a, a, an eco-zealot when it comes to his energy team. All right, so let's talk about the rest of this energy team. Um, we've got Tom Vilsack. He's another recycle from the uh, Obama era. He was terrible when he was Department of Agriculture. I mean, that's a roadless rural guy. That's the guy who shut down the Tongas. I mean, the, the national forests are supposed to be multi-use forests. That's what they're supposed to be. But they have created a situation where the Tongas forest has to be the carbon bank for the entire world. And um, you know they've basically made it completely uneconomic. There is not a single lumberjack working in Southeast Alaska anymore. And there were, you know, there were over a thousand of them working in the 1990s. Um, but for some reason, we can't have multi-use due to people like Vilsack. And of course, there's this Jennifer Granholm over who he's got for energy. What do we know about them? Well, so let's start with Vilsack because he's a very, very interesting pick for the Biden administration. He's a He's a uh, former two-term Democratic governor of Iowa. And when you think Iowa, you think family farms and, you know, uh, certainly a red state, Joni Ernst and others. Um, he's a huge supporter of biofuels. That should make him very, very popular in Iowa. Ethanol, uh, ethanol, totally. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, yeah, ethanol. But, you know, it's, uh, his nomination has really set off a firestorm in D.C. Why? Well, there was this article in the, this morning in The Guardian, not exactly a bastion of uh, conservative viewpoint. That, that is headlined, Biden's pick for Ag Secretary raises serious red flags. He's a corporate yes man and a former lobbyist with a dismal record and appalling overall. 
So the left doesn't like him either? The left doesn't like him either. Um, He's, he was tough on minorities. So anybody with a social justice bent, you know, a a racial justice bent hates this guy. Um, He was against family farm farmers, uh, apparently, because he went out and joined a a mega, you know, mega um, uh, farming lobbying firm afterwards for, you know, huge ag groups. And the environmentalists hate him because he didn't do enough to promote biofuels, ethanol, and things like that. Even though he was the governor of the state, even though he was the head of the um, USDA, he didn't do enough. Now think about this. This is a guy who has made his entire professional political career pumping up you know, farmers and pumping up corn, and it's not enough for the freaks in DC right now. So if he does survive confirmation and, and you know, sources that I've talked to say he probably has the toughest choice of or toughest chance of anybody, He'll have a huge say in everything from cannabis to timber, the Tongass, the uh-huh. roadless rule. Will he actually help Alaska if he makes it through confirmation, guys? I, I, I doubt it, but I'm not sure he can make it through confirmation. Interesting. Very Okay, well, let's talk about uh, this one other pick uh, because I've got a lot of thoughts about uh, about Vilsack but, uh, and the Tongass because, of course, I'm from the Tongass. I'm from Juneau, sure. and that's kind of my hometown. I grew up... Uh, uh, I could smell the pulp mill from Sitka wafting over to Ock Bay where I lived. And of course we don't, we don't have that anymore. And it's kind of, in a way it's kind of nostalgic because it's like, gee whiz, we used to have timber jobs and yeah, the pulp mill didn't smell all that well, great sometimes, but. Real quick, real quick story before we start on with um, Grand Almas. Uh, when I was up in college at UAF, I dated a gal from Kaufman Cove. And, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, that's a, that's a huge logging town in the middle of uh, Southeast Alaska. And, and uh, her family was third generation uh, logging and they moved. They moved my junior year of college, the whole family, because uh, the, the uh, Clinton era EPA and, you know, kind of the spotted owl deal and everything like that had, had cost her dad his job and they moved and yep. she took off. And I would, I would like to, I mean, I, I will say this unequivocally, I got the better end of the deal because my wife is amazing, but you know, just watching all those jobs leave Southeast Alaska was crushing for that, totally uh, crushing. For that industry. Yeah, totally crushing. Lots and lots of good, those are good family jobs. And it's, it was, it's sad to see places like Gildersleeve and, and other um, operations um, just, just simply disappear. It's an era that uh, shouldn't have disappeared. So let's talk about Jennifer Granholm over at Energy, because I know I'm really concerned about this nomination and I, and I think everybody should be. Yeah. So what, yeah, the last person that, that we kind of talked about, right, Suzanne was, was Jennifer Gramble. She spent much of her time. Um, she was, she's a former Michigan governor two term. She spent much of her time as the governor of Michigan, um, not advocating for manufacturing jobs in the, in the automobile and other, you know, blue collar work. Right. But she started talking about this whole renewable just transition and how automakers had to adapt and how this, um, this traditional energy source workforce needed to become, in her, in her words, uh, right with the earth. And so let's think about this. If she takes that approach to Alaska and she starts taking traditional energy jobs, 65% of our private sector revenue sources for the state and almost a third of our jobs in the state um, and takes that radical thought process to Alaska or to DC and, and affects Alaska, um, she takes our economic drivers and, uh, and, and really thwarts us. She is, um, 
you know, again, she's going to be part of this whole Carrie McCarthy, Hallen, Vilsack team put in um, that will put millions of American families' jobs in the crosshairs of a huge, unnecessary climate-driven onslaught. You know, Power of the Future is going to continue to speak out against the dangers of a Biden energy policy, just like we've been doing for about the past year. It will be a disastrous thing for workers, put American energy independence as a thing of the past, weaken U.S. national security and make us more dependent on China. And it all starts if he's inaugurated on January 20th, 2021, right? But to find out more, to follow us, uh, you can catch us on online at uh, powerthefuture.com. We're on Parler at PTF Official, Twitter at PTF Alaska, Facebook at Power of the Future. Uh, we have a weekly radio program, the Power of the Future Energy Hour on KBNT, which is 1020kbnt.com on Tuesdays from 5 to 6 p.m. You've been a guest for a number of times, and I appreciate that. Um, we also have a podcast, the Your Fracking Welcome podcast, that you can get wherever you uh, grab the Must Read podcast. We're right there, too. And, um, you know, we're, we're always looking for ways. Oh, and we're on SoundCloud. So all of our media appearances, if you just go to soundcloud.com, you can search for Power of the Future. Uh, really, again, appreciate the, the time. You guys are awesome. I love listening to you. Um, I am an avid app user and um, website uh, browser. Keep doing what you guys are doing. We absolutely need uh, what Must Read Alaska brings to, to Alaska. Well, you have, uh, you have been a fascinating um, discussion uh, person here today at Must Read Alaska. Really appreciate it. John, uh, I know you've got uh, to, some things you want to, to give away. You want to talk a little bit about the uh, Wednesday edition of the podcast. You want to talk a little bit about the book giveaway again. Make sure that people do that before we close up. Would you do that? Yeah, thanks so much again, Rick, for joining us. We really appreciate your Absolutely. insights. And we really encourage folks to spend 10, 15, 20 minutes and to look into some of these folks that Biden is appointing because uh, the attitude of uh, won't affect Alaska is just not true. It will affect Alaska. It will affect jobs. And we encourage you to look into that. So today we have that giveaway going on. So if you want to win uh, the newest Donald Trump Jr. book, uh, all you have to do is go quick, leave us a review on uh, our uh, podcast, take a screenshot and send me that screenshot at john, J-O-H-N, at mustreadalaska.com. Uh, you can also find us, uh, our new app, which we launched about a month and a half ago, is on the iTunes store. It's on the Google Play store for any Android phone, and it's free to you. So it took a lot of work, a lot of development to develop this app. And uh, we want to give that to you for free. So if you like it and enjoy it, and if you've downloaded it and used it, we want to encourage you to leave us a review as well there. And, you know, you could find us on any social media platform out there. We're on all 10 of them, uh, from MeWe to Parler to Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter. We got our own YouTube channel. And we are blessed to have got a big reach. There's lots of folks that are in the 40, lower 48 that like to uh, hear the latest and greatest with conservative news in Alaska. And uh, this, this last 12 months, we've had 26 million impressions just on Google. And so that's all because of you uh, for listening, reading, and watching. We, we thank you for that.
Yeah, I, I, I thank you too. And so thank you, John Quick and Scott Levesque. Thank you to uh, Rick Whitbeck today for joining us. I really loved this uh, this episode. We've got a great team here. And I just want to wish everybody a very Merry Christmas. And, you know, take time with your family, take time with your friends, pick up the phone and call somebody that you haven't talked to in a long time and just, you know, sort of share the love. And um, if you'd like to support this conservative side of the news in Alaska, please, the donate button is on the right side there at mustreadalaska.com. And when you do that, it allows us to stay strong, independent, and standing up against the blue tide of Alaska's liberal activist media. So until next week, we're signing off from somewhere in Alaska, and Merry Christmas to everyone in Alaska or wherever you are.